At its very core, drug science must remain independent. This means we don't accept sponsorships. It's with the support of the drug science community we're able to do this and make the podcast in the first place. If you're able to become a drug science community member and support the show, you too will be supporting the dissemination of evidence-based drug policies. Without you, none of this would be possible. For anybody interested, there's a link in the show notes. Thank you. Hello and welcome to the Drug Science Podcast with me, David Nutt. Here we're bringing together experts and activists for a rational, honest and informed conversation about drugs. Well, hello everyone and welcome to this, the start of the third series of the Drug Science Podcast. Uh, You all know who I am, I'm David Nutt, and we're doing something different in this new series and something very different in this new podcast, because I have two guests who are not just guests, but also podcasters in the making, Joe Neal. And Hannah Thurgar. And uh, I guess you probably know who Joe is if you've been listening to the podcast because she was uh, on one towards the beginning. She's a neuropsychopharmacologist of some repute. And Hannah is uh, the new generation, the coming generation of young scientists who are moving in to, to help drug science with our, our research and our policy work. So welcome to both of you. Thank and you. I'll start with Joe. Yes. So, Joe, just refresh people as to your. Um, your background and your credentials, uh, apart from the fact you're a professor of pharmacy. So thank you very much, Dave. I'm so excited to be doing this hosting of the podcast. I have to confess, I have never hosted a podcast before. So listeners, I hope you bear with me, but really excited about it. And Dave, I have listened to all your podcasts. It's just, they're they're so great. And I've learned so much. So yeah, third series, hoping to keep up the high standards. Yeah, so I'm a professor of psychopharmacology at the University of Manchester, and I also chair the Medical Psychedelics Working Group for Drug Science, and I'm a trustee of Heroic Hearts UK, which is a combat veteran charity, raising funds to take combat veterans on retreats to enable them to heal their trauma from their sometimes very often horrific experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan to use the the natural plant ayahuasca, which of course the active ingredient is DMT, but taking them into the jungle as a group, which seems to be particularly beneficial for these, these people. So I am an academic researcher, worked in drug discovery in psychiatry. So it's very early stage drug discovery. Uh, looking for better treatments for mental illness. So for all kinds of disorders, for addiction, anxiety, depression, schizophrenia. And that's almost 40 years. And in all that time, we didn't manage to get some of these amazing new molecules, new drug targets. We didn't manage to get them into patients, making a big difference. A big pharma pulled out of this area about 15 years ago. And having had some spectacular failures, it has to be said, in in phase three trials, which, of course, cost a lot of money. So we've kind of slowed down in developing new treatments for serious mental health disorders. 
And while the current medication works very well for, for some people, but there are a considerable number of people who don't respond particularly well. And so we need new approaches and psychedelic medicine. So psych what psychedelics, psilocybin, the active ingredient of magic mushrooms, ayahuasca, the active ingredient is DMT. And of course, the one that most of you all have heard of, um, LSD. And recent research is showing phenomenally positive results for people with kind of very severe mental illness, for trauma, PTSD, for severe depression. And one of the aims really of the working group is to educate people about this because these are, are highly stigmatized substances and to, to do research. The working group has already started to publish papers in this area. But really, as the medical cannabis working group is doing, is to, to enable patients to access this much needed medicine safely and on the NHS when the time comes. So those are the kind of overall aims of, of the working group. And I've, I've given up my lab and I have you know, decided to spend the rest of my career working towards this goal because we have a mental health crisis and the, we badly need different options for certain patients. And of course, these are our plant medicines have been used by indigenous people for thousands of years. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. But I'm really excited to be part of the podcast team now. So thank you very much, Dave. Well, look, yeah, it's great to, to have you on board. And uh, I'll, I'll thank you again for all the work you've done on the for drug science and particularly the chairing of the, uh, the medical psychedelic working group, which is uh, going from strength to strength. And I think, you know, beginning to get noticed and also influence uh, not just scientists, but also policymakers. So great to have you on board. And now over to Hannah, Hannah, who is the, the future, I guess, Joe and I are the, well, I'm the past, <laughs> Joe's the present, and Hannah's the future. So Hannah, Hannah's come into drug science a few years ago and has been doing some remarkable work, in, particularly in relation to medical cannabis. Uh, so Hannah, just introduce yourself, your background and, uh, and what you're doing. Oh, thank you, Dave. It's an absolute pleasure to be on the podcast with you and Joe. So I'm also a fellow Bristolian, um, so I always feel very lucky to have grown up in Bristol, very liberal city. My background, though, is in biochemistry, and then I went um, and carried on at Manchester to do my PhD in neuroscience, looking at repair processes after stroke. But really, there was a few times I, I reflect back when I've been really inspired um, by the world of, of drugs, really. Um, a few standout events at festivals with Robin Carr Harris and then following your work, Dave, and then contributing to the LSD fundraiser. And then really it kind of got properly kickstarted meeting Joe at Manchester and that was a real turning point and Joe essentially becoming an unofficial mentor one of the best mentors you can ask for and then really starting at drug science volunteering first and then um, building up to work on the long COVID clinical trial um, as the study coordinator so moving away from basic research so from cell culture and working with humans um, was a fantastic opportunity and I've really been learning so much the past few years. It's such a great team, such a lovely team of people. So yeah, very grateful to feel constantly inspired. Well, we work you hard, but you do, you, you do seem very enthusiastic and I'm grateful for that. I love it. <laughs> um, I think people, we, we haven't done really 
much. I've been trying to get Liv Iverson on this program about long COVID. She's been slightly hesitant. So most people listening won't appreciate what we tried to do with the long COVID. So I wanted to just illuminate for them what we actually did and the challenges that we, we, we faced, but uh, the su- success we had in at least putting some, th- some people through. So just tell people a bit about the long COVID study, please. Yes, of course. So the long COVID clinical trial was developed at the start of last year. Well, before that, there was a lot of process behind it, trying to design a study protocol um, to help test the feasibility of using a cannabis-based medicinal product for the treatment of long COVID symptoms. Um, So medical cannabis, as many of our listeners will know, is legal to be prescribed in the UK, but under a specials license. So when you do a clinical trial using medical cannabis, it counts as a clinical trial of an investigational medicinal product. And with that, there comes extra guidelines and regulations that you must follow. So you have to get approval from the MHRA, which is the UK's Medicines Licensing Authority, as well as approval from the NHS Research Ethics Committee. So we managed to get our approval for our clinical trial, and that was approved in January 2022. And the study design was to recruit participants for a period of six months, whereby in the first month, their dose of the the medical cannabis oil would be slowly titrated up, and kept at a steady dose for five months and then titrated down. Um, So we had assessments each month, which were led by Dr. Elizabeth Iveson and also our research nurse, Carol. And then there were monthly assessments of questionnaires, which were self-report questionnaires done by the participant. Each month assessed via a smartphone app um, using the Ultiflora Eva app, And just to throw one more thing into the study, we also used a Fitbit. Um, So a Fitbit is the wearable watch, which can track measurements such as heart rate, um, sleep and blood oxygen saturation. So when we say it's a feasibility study, what we were really looking at was whether the protocol design was feasible and whether whether participants would be able to Um, complete the assessments that we required, such as the the monthly questionnaires alongside wearing the Fitbit. Um, But really the the challenges come from trying to complete a medical cannabis clinical trial where you have to still go through these loopholes despite being able to get medical cannabis on a prescription in the UK. So it makes it more costly to try and do a clinical trial in this setting um, makes it more bureaucratic because you have to get these approvals, which take time and expertise. So it was definitely a challenging um, clinical trial to do. Yeah, I guess from drug sciences, you know, talk about jumping in at the deep end. Yes, (laughs) I don't think any of us quite realised the the challenge of doing it on a on a compound, uh, on a product that was off license and uh, and had all the the challenges of importation and prescribing in that, but you know thanks largely to your amazing efforts. <laughs> we, how many how many people did we manage to put into the feasibility in the end? Can you remind yes. me? Yes, so we recruited twelve in total. So not as many as we had hoped, and partly this was due to us having quite a restricted recruitment area initially in Yorkshire and York. 
So we've still gathered a lot of data. So we're still taking away the positives from it that we're going to publish on it. We will share our findings, which is really important to share our learnings with the medical cannabis community. We want people to go away and do further studies and clinical trials and just share what we've learned, um, which is the most important thing to try and encourage more people to do it. It was a ballsy thing we did just going ahead, trying to find a way to do this important research. Absolutely. And I think it's important to say that this was something that actually came out of Liz Iverson is one of the clinician advisors we have on our uh, Medical Cannabis 2021 initiative. And and she was quite um, interested in the fact that many of the people she was getting good responses from using medical cannabis had very similar symptoms, uh, uh, fatigue, loss of energy, palpitations, breathlessness to people with long COVID. So it was, I think it was probably the first almost certainly the first trial of any cannabis medication in long COVID. Would you, is that true, do you think? Yeah, it was. So there are some studies looking at different types of medical cannabis in, in there was acute, acute COVID, but really our study was the first looking specifically at long COVID symptoms. There was an earlier study looking at um, the use of a CBD product in burnout of um, frontline staff, but nothing specifically with this long COVID symptoms. Um, and it is, there is a, a growing evidence base really for the, the similarities of the symptoms people experience in long COVID, particularly the anxiety, the depression, the pain and the fatigue, that there's growing evidence that some forms of medical cannabis could potentially be beneficial. And which is why we had quite a broad set of secondary outcomes as we all explore true measures, just to try and see really what are the areas that need to be looked at in future studies. Hello everyone, it's me, Dr. Hannah Thurger. Apologies for interrupting the show, I promise I won't keep you too long. I wanted to remind you that drug science does not and will never take paid sponsorships or paid ads on the Drug Science Podcast, so don't worry, I'm not going to try and sell you anything. We feel that sponsorships would affect our ability to be impartial and corrupt our evidence-based mission. With that said, we're only able to continue making the show with your community donations. Community donors support our research into the harms of various drugs and discover how they might be used to help heal humankind. We're currently on tour up and down the country at various UK universities to help spread the word about some of our latest developments in drug science. By donating to drug science, you'll be able to attend all of our events completely free and we would love to meet you in person. Additionally, we're going to hold community exclusive events in 2023, including a Q&A podcast recording with Dave Nutt, Joe Neal and myself. So if you'd like to come on the show and ask us one of your burning questions, sign up now to become a member and we will let you know when that's happening. Finally, our most generous community donors will be invited to our prestigious end of year event at the House of Lords in Westminster. Right, now back to the show. So what we showed was it was feasible, particularly if you have someone yeah. who's prepared to work very hard. We've set up set <laughs> the standard for others. And it'll hopefully be published uh, probably in Drug Science Policy and Law, the Drug Science Journal, in the, in the next few months, one would hope. So. Yeah, definitely. So keep an eye out, everyone. It's coming. <laughs> well, I'll be tweeting. Don't worry. As soon as it's out there, I'll be tweeting. Yeah, we'll be on the Drug Science website, won't it? But it's such a great study to have done so did everybody get the same mix of thc and cbd or 
I guess they, yes. they yes. did. Yes. Yeah, they have to, mm. wouldn't they? Well, just with small numbers. Yeah. How do you, long COVID, is there a sort of clear definition of that or like a, a set criteria? Yeah, so the World Health Organization, they define it as symptoms that persist past three months of the initial acute infection. So that's that's how it's kind of defined, um, but how it's coded and diagnosed in primary care setting started off as kind of being a little bit a bit unclear. But I think now there's a, a clearer di- diagnostic process, including the setup of long COVID clinics by the NHS. But we know that they are heavily oversubscribed with long waiting lists and our reports that funding has been cut for these long COVID clinics. So treatment's still quite difficult and knowing how to treat this broad set of symptoms and improve quality of life for these patients is still really unknown. And do you have a sense that people with long COVID are kind of self-medicating with cannabis at all? There was some reports of this in some online media, media kind of articles of people saying that they had done this. So, I mean... When people are desperate to treat symptoms, you can imagine why you would, you know, try to self self medicate with anything that you think could potentially be helpful. Well, we tried. We tipped our well. No, I, I was going to. That's the wrong analogy. I said we jumped in the deep end. We didn't dip our toes in the water. We jumped in. <laughs> we and, jumped uh, in. As I said, you know, we showed you can swim in this field, but it's a challenging thing, and, and you know, we'll need a lot more investment from companies to, do, to be able to do a, a definitive study. But at least we've laid the groundwork. Now, I want to get over to Joe again, because we, we talked about your sterling work on the Medical Psychedelic Working Group, but you've also been running a load of symposia as well, haven't you? Partly with... Oh, yes, actually. Partly with, tell us about those and tell us about the forthcoming ones, which I... Well, of course, so our, of course, our aim is education. So we need to get out there. And I know, Dave, you're out and about an awful lot. Uh, But we must get out there and educate people about psychedelic medicine, about, you know, the need for for better treatments for mental health and, you know, all the sort of related issues. And there's so much brilliant work going on across the world, really, in this and so many great expertise, experts rather, you know, from companies, people working in companies running clinical trials, from scientists, policymakers, because of course, one of the big issues is the law. And the law is making research very difficult. I mean, Hannah's just talked about, you know, how hard it was to work with medical cannabis, and that's legal as a medicine. So working with something that is not legal and is in Schedule 1 of the UN Convention and the, the UK Misuse of Drugs Act, It's enormously difficult, bureaucratic, costly. You have to wait a long time. And it doesn't make sense because the definition of a Schedule 1 drug is that it doesn't have therapeutic benefit. And with all the trial results now, you know, we know that psychedelics do have benefit. So that's, you know, one of the important issues that we're trying to address. Well, you've been campaigning. Manchester University, you mean you have your colleagues there have been... You know, you've even got a separate university initiative to change this, haven't you? Which, is, you know, is quite remarkable. No other university in the country has. Yeah, it is extraordinary, actually, Dave. And and I was at Bradford University for a long time, very small place, uni. Then coming to Manchester, they've got all these social responsibility initiatives. I mean, Hannah, it's just the most mm-hmm. amazing place, isn't it? Oh, I love Manchester. Manchester was a fantastic uni. And, you know, just to kind of reiterate how great your street drugs 
events were. I mean, if it wasn't for that, who knows? We might, we might never have met Joe. Um, so, yeah, Manchester is yeah, a very progressive union. They're only, they are pushing forward again with the social responsibility and they're quite open as a university. So you know, it's a great, a great place to have studied. But you're still running conferences there, Joe. Is that don't you have one on benzos coming up? Did I am I imagining that? Yes, we have one planned for March on psychedelics and afternoon in, on psychedelics and cancer. And your PhD student is coming to speak at that, Rayanne Zafar, the amazing Sarah Tai, the clinical psychologist, who's an expert on the um, psychotherapy associated with psychedelic treatments. We have Lauren McDonald, who's also at Imperial with Rayanne. Oh, yes, Lauren. Lauren's been on the podcast, by the way. So you might, you should, Lauren did a podcast with me, I suppose, over a year ago. She is, that's a remarkable podcast because she's, uh, talking about lived experience, she's both a cancer survivor and a, and a psychedelic therapist. It's a rather unique combination. Yeah, so she's coming. She's great. Yes. She is absolutely brilliant. So folks, definitely listen to, if you haven't listened already, to Lauren's podcast. Her story is quite extraordinary, and she's unique expertise, of course, as well. Yeah, so that's shaping up to be a really, really great event. And, you know, we run a psychedelics event at Manchester once a year in March. But we actually, Dave, what was so great for us, I think, was at the beginning of the psychedelics working group, when we started, we were still you know, kind of in lockdown. Well, we were in lockdown, actually. And what we did was we organized a series of events uh, on women in psychedelics. Oh, yes, I remember those. Man. I remember. Oh, and they yeah. were so well attended, all online. You know, we had some of the sort of, pick my words carefully, some of the people who were kind of there at the beginning, people like Amanda Fielding. And then we had newer people. Gosh, memory not so good now. But we had some of the most absolutely brilliant experts working in psychedelics. Hannah, can you remember who else we had? We're going back. And we had Meg Spriggs, Nicole Buchanan. I remember those two kind of really speaking out to me. They were very, very well attended events online, which you can still watch. Uh, well, it's a useful point you're making here. Not, it's, it, when you do have these events and you do have speakers that are, that are very, very impressive, make sure you, know, you inquire whether they would be prepared to be guests on the podcast because... Uh, you know, we although we've done about seventy odd people so far, you know, we've want to keep keep it running. We want to, you know, trying to try to get the best people we can. So always find out. You know, if you see someone you think would be great for the podcast, then feel free to invite them. And James and the, and the team will do that. Yes, we will. And you know, it, it was it's great. There there are a lot of amazing people coming up. I think. Speaking of women, I think we've got Cassandra Frederic coming up this series yes so i don't know her i haven't said so i'm looking forward to that give us a bit of a preview of what she might be saying so cassandra is the executive director of the drug policy alliance a non-profit in america who do the fantastic fantastic campaigning and advocacy for for drug policy across cannabis cannabis legalization overdose prevention centers something that drug science also obviously very passionate about and importantly campaigning for racial justice and making sure that there's social equity with changes to drug policy so really really important work so definitely a podcast episode to look forward to i know i'm going to be interviewing alex wodak from australia who was uh, 
one of the absolute pioneers of harm reduction in relation to HIV and AIDS, and was was instrumental in, in Sydney setting up the maybe one of maybe the first in the world uh, a harm reduction needle exchange for AIDS. I'm looking forward to to, to interviewing Alex, who's uh, who's now moved from HIV prevention to uh, tobacco harm prevention. It's proving much harder, I gather, in Australia to do that than it is to stop AIDS. So I'm, look, I'm looking forward to to chatting with him about the challenges he's facing there. Do you, uh, Joe? do you have anyone lined up for, for in your podcast? Yes. Oh, yes. I'm very excited about talking to Graham Campbell. So Graham Campbell has been working on the small pharma trial. So it's DMT for severe depression. And he's one of the clinical leads on that trial. So I'm really excited to be, um, of course, you know, he's a psychiatrist. He's he's worked in the NHS. He's worked in secure units in the NHS for quite a lot of his career. So I'm really interested to hear, you know, about that experience and how that was for him and what led him into working on psychedelics and then into working with Small Pharma on the DMT trial. Because that's that's this is pretty special trial actually. DMT is very short lasting. And, you know, because it's metabolized so fast. So they've chosen to give it intravenously and actually still quite short acting. And and thinking about psychedelics coming into clinical practice and the cost implications and the time to have, you know, something as long acting as LSD, you would need somebody to be kept in overnight. But with something like DMT, it's quite short acting. So you wouldn't need to have somebody in probably even maybe just half a day. So that, you know, it will be really interesting to hear. Uh, it's more like the ketamine model, where you might, yes, it's a one or two hour. Well, I guess it's even shorter, it's even shorter than a ketamine, but it's the principle of a short. So that's quite intellectually, academically interesting, isn't it? You know, Will twenty minute would a twenty minute trip be as good as a as a, as a four or five hour psilocybin trip? That's going to be a actually quite a fascinating study. When it it's also I think it's all preliminary readouts. I've heard I saw a press release, and in fact I'm I think I'm going to be doing one of the eight pharmacologists on their program later as well, Carol Routledge. So we'll be able to get it from both perspectives. From the you'll get it from the clinician's perspective, and I'll be able to interrogate her about the actual data. So we should know a lot about DMT by the end of this series. <laughs> Yes, we have quite a lot about, about DMT on this series, which is, you know, is it's really exciting. And it, it's kind of brave to have done, to be doing LSD in a clinical trial, I think. And um, one of the other groups I'm trying to get onto our, onto the podcast, I haven't, I haven't agreed yet, but it, I think they will, is the, the people that from Australia who've actually been pushing the My Medicine Australia charity, Peter Hunt, who runs that, who's spent his the last part of his life being a philanthropist trying to save uh, people with chronic illnesses or give them options. And uh, they've made a major breakthrough in the, just in the last month with Australia rescheduling psilocybin for uh, resistant depression and MDMA for resistant PTSD. So that's been largely driven by that, that their charity pushing, pushing hard to, to challenging the regulators' negativity. There's so no coincidence we'll get- that you were in Australia when this all happened. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I, I didn't want to say that, but you, I'm happy if you do. Oh, Dave, don't be modest. <laughs> you, you know, listeners, Dave can be very persuasive. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you guys are doing the podcast. <laughs> no, exactly. Yeah, that's why I'm working for drug science now. <laughs> and and I think you're doing one. I think you doing. Joe, you're doing one with Chuck Raisin, I think, from um, Usona, who's a, a remarkable man. I think you'll enjoy talking to him. He's 
he's written about all sorts, of all, all sorts of strange ways you can alter your mind for and improve psychological well-being. So I think you'll enjoy. Make sure you chat to him about his sweat lodge experience. He's actually done research, I think, in sweat lodges. So, so that'll be <laughs> quite something. something actually, I don't know so much about him, David. Be really interesting. Well, I, you know, listeners, I have. Uh, you know, this is a bit boring for you, but I live by the seaside now. I've always wanted, being Irish, I've always wanted to go back to the sea. So we relocated in lockdown, and I swim in the sea every day with a load of you know women of a certain age. And they love the winter swimming because they say that, you know, mentally it makes them feel much sharper, much more alert, alive, and much better mental health, actually. So I'll try and talk to them about that, I think. Well, you've uh, you've been, uh, certainly worked for, you, you know, Joe, you've been definitely bouncing around ever since you moved to Swanies, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, the rest of us live in our inner cities, yes. And Hannah, you, who, else, who else have you got lined up, Hannah? So we've also got Evan Lewis, a Canadian cannabis specialist, um, who we're looking forward to, to picking his mind on prescribing medical cannabis and what we can learn from him. Oh, is he the man that does the childhood epilepsy? Yes, childhood epilepsy. And has now, yes, with really working on protocols that can be used um, in the treatment and has also now crossed over into psychedelics as well. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what what learnings he's taking from medical cannabis yes i heard him speak once it was remarkable i mean this, this, you know he's been mm. an absolute pioneer of i mean puts us to shame particularly in the field of epilepsy where you know we've we've managed to study 20 25 people I feel like thousands, hundreds. Maybe yeah, thousands I mean, it's of patients it's fantastic he's an absolute pioneer well it's quite a series we've got yes we're Hannah, sorry dave to hannah and i are going to be talking to charles nichols as well, son of David, pioneer of inflammation, the anti-inflammatory effects of certain psychedelics. So we're Hannah and I are. I'm very excited. <laughs> Don't back tell to me you back to your roots, Hannah. Back to maybe I'll be running away. <laughs> um, and we have a famous on. person coming up. But famous, maybe I shouldn't mention his name just in, you know, maybe I should keep the listeners in suspense. But we have a okay. very special guest coming up. Okay. Well, I'm I'm happy to be kept in suspense too. Maybe if anything that helps my dementia slow down, I'll be grateful, I'll be grateful for it. So <laughs> let me know about that. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. 